in some sort of like purgatory while playing that game <laughs> because it's like Twin Peaks. When you watch Twin Peaks, yeah. it's never just like a normal story arc. It's just random stuff happens yeah. in that in that TV show. And then at the end, you're like, well, that was long and arduous, but it was really cool. Yeah, and that's what I think he was trying to achieve. He's certainly doing it now. <laughs> the, with the whole goal of leaving your leaving your users being like, I don't know if I liked that or not. <laughs> I don't know if that was worth it or not. Is that art in itself? <laughs> yeah, do, you, do you know what, what's not art is charging $28 for a chocolate chip cookie in that game. <laughs> I don't know why. You get salaries. It's a very well-balanced economy. <laughs> so the biggest thing you're concerned with the game is the price of cookies. <laughs> this is not real. And they there's, had like no, a there's no way to stuff like your face. Nine bucks. It's like, what, what's inside that cookie? So, I'm Matthew Martinson. I'm Gordon McLattery. I'm Jeff Tanksock. This is Beards, Cats, and Any Game Audio. So, our guest this week, month, month, week. Month. There's no way we're doing <laughs> weeks. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> so, Jeff, welcome. Who are you? Uh, I'm Jeff Tanksock. I'm the studio director for an indie audio house based right here in Vancouver um, called Power Up Audio. Sweet. What are some of the illustrious titles you have done? I don't know. As illustrious. Well, yeah, we've done we've done a few titles um, in the three years that we've been a company. We, uh, my partner Kevin Regami and I, uh, incorporated in 2012 after a three to four year long stint at another uh, studio here in town um, called Somatone, and we had met there and had spent many nights sort of. Uh, talking about video games and kind of analyzing the sounds of games that we really wanted to do and kind of lamenting on the fact that we weren't really doing those types of games because we didn't have a choice. We didn't run the studio. So after a couple of years of working there, we decided to kind of strike off and form our own company. Um, and it's been pretty good since. We, we sort of first started the company as a sort of we didn't put a lot of money into it, so we had a six-month expiration date. And if we didn't get anything, then I guess it's uh, crawling back through the cat door back into Somatone. But uh, we ended up doing as many contracts as we can, uh, as we could back then. And we ended up getting some really nice ones, um, a lot from Vancouver devs mm -hmm. here. So we've done, uh, we did a game called Towerfall and Towerfall Ascension uh, by Matt Makes Games uh, here in Vancouver. That game was released as, I think, uh, Ouya first. Yep. It was kind of touted as the, the killer app for Ouya. And then um, there was an expanded version called Towerfall Ascension that got picked up for Steam and PlayStation 4. Uh, there's another game that we did from a Vancouver developer, Brace Yourself Games. That's Ryan Clark. Uh, he did a game called Crypt of the Necrodancer, it's with, which we did the sound design for. Not the music, um, unfortunately, but the music's already done by... Danny Baranowski, who's really good and excellent in that in that game. Um, earlier this year, we released uh, a title with Red Hook Studios called The Darkest Dungeon, which has been uh, very well received through early access. Um, back in February, I think, yeah, and uh, yeah, and a few more titles kind of up and down the road. I don't know if I can talk about, but I'm actually doing two games that I can talk about with Gordon. Yep. We've done a lot of work together. Full disclosure there. So, so oh, it's so, so much. So you've so worked a total work. backdoor into this podcast. Yeah, so which you is guys really have worked to together. Onto, so. Yeah, I've slept on and Gordon's I've, couch. I've worked <laughs> with Gord. Yeah, I haven't worked with you. Yeah, so 
So that we got to figure that out because we got to complete the triangle. There's a christening. There's a christening process that involves me sleeping on your couch with your. I've cat. got a couch. I've got two cats. Yeah, man. So, what are you doing yeah. tonight? <laughs> Let's do it. So you've worked on a, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, the ones that I'm working with Gord uh, is. Um, Viking Squad by Slick Entertainment, also from Vancouver. Which I talk about a lot. Yeah, which yep. Gord talks about, and he should. The, the music Gord's making on it is, is really, really nice. Um, and it's a fun little game. It's very Castle Crashers-esque uh, for the new generation, kind of, because they have a lot of new systems, sort of like like lanes in, the, um, in a brawler, which allows you to accurately hit or be hit by enemies. Uh, and there's also Bunker Punks by Shane Neville, who is... Uh, ninja robot dinosaur. Yep. He's sort of like a resident video game guru here in town. Everybody loves and respects Shane, and we're really fortunate to be doing um, sound design with his project. So you've done a lot of work for people. Yes. You've had work done for you as Power Up Audio. You mm-hmm. hire contractors at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about that this is kind of, we're going to kind of talk about contracting. That's kind of For the sure. focus. It's something that we've talked hour. about a lot amongst ourselves outside the. Yeah. The, so you, uh, you've experienced podcast. sort of both sides of that, which yeah. is cool too. Yeah. Hopefully. For sure. Um, so, big, giant, broad, messy question what makes a good contractor? Oh, man. Yeah. There's a lot of things um, that would make a good contractor. There's a lot of things that would make not so good of a contractor. Right. So, um, when you're as an audio house looking for contractors, what are some things that you're looking for? Okay, so the first thing is that we have, um, on our website, we have like a, a, an email form. So if people want uh, to inquire about our services or if people want to inquire about working with us, they can always fill out this email form. And it's really good to have because you can kind of look and uh, vet through the internet uh, the types of people that could possibly be working for you or the types of people or types of clients you could possibly have. But I always find that the best relationships between contractors and myself are the ones that are, like, really personal. That's not to say that I wouldn't hire a contractor that lived in a different city and we'd be working remotely, but the the ones that I find the most value in are the ones that we meet in person uh, and I get to take a good look at them. And also, it's the environment in which you meet a contractor. So I'm not saying, you know, like you go to, you know, Harvey's, don't know why I said Harvey's, but you, know, you go to Harvey's <laughs> and you see a guy and you both are like, oh, cool. Like, you know, you like, you know, the same bands that I do speaking yeah. on, looking at their iPad or iPod or whatever. But it's, it's more like the conventions you go to, like yeah. you go to a, you go to something like GDC and you see that somebody else has, you know, spent uh, the money to go there, booked yeah. off the time to go there, planned the logistics to get there yeah. and is now kind of amongst this group of other like-minded contemporaries, that's already sort of like a, a, a plus point for me. Yeah, it already proves like a certain ability to be organized. Yeah, and a certain uh, level of professionalism, I find. So I, I just want to say, I've said that numerous times on the podcast. Yeah. We did not talk about this beforehand. I did not tell <laughs> Jeff what to say. I haven't even slept on this guy's couch yet. But exactly <laughs> that. Like, going to GDC gives you a, a step up. Like, I take you seriously if I meet you at GDC. Even mm-hmm. if you're from Vancouver, yeah. I'm going to take you more seriously because all of that, you took the time to go there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, I find that, you know, since we've started going to GDC um, in the past three years, since 2013, um, we've been making connections, keeping in touch with sound designers yeah. there. And when it even comes to a, a, a chance that 
we can work with them. They're always considered. And yeah. even if there's another project that is offered to us that we can't do mm-hmm. um, because of time restraints or what have you, we always recommend these people too. Yeah. Right? And it, it doesn't, you know, you can go to GDC and you can go to, you know, PAX and all these, uh, you know, worldwide, national, international events. But even locally when um, looking for contractors or talking to potential contractors, the ones that I find the most connection with um, a positive connection is at the local meetups here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, we don't have to travel to San Francisco or Texas to find uh, to find people or make a connection with people because yeah. in a lot of cities uh, they there there are um, there are meetups that happen monthly. It's been crazy seeing the explosion of meetups happening. Yeah. Audio wise, video game wise, like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy. It's really cool seeing that everyone's getting together. And I think we're a bit lucky because of places like VFS here in town. Yeah. We've sort of got a, a glut of game and audio people mm-hmm. here to hopefully do come out to the meetups and we can all kind of like yeah. get some FaceTime with people, you know, it's, early on. It's not even VFS, I find. I mean, like there's VFS, uh, there, there's AI. We have two AI schools, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. We yep. have Stylus, CDM, and Pavi, and they all have audio engineering programs. And you guys, as much as anybody know, that when uh, a, there's a AAA company, like how many sound designers are in a AAA team doing a game, right? As mm-hmm. many as artists? No. As many as programmers? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. No, right? I, I, I've, I've always found it's about 1 in 30 to 1 in 50. So when you have this, um, you know, Vancouver has, has a very strong, you know, school as business uh, programs. Yeah. And when you have this high turnover of sound designers that are looking uh, for jobs every month when they graduate, what's going to make them stand out? Yeah. Anybody can write an email. Anybody can really, anybody can really make a reel. Yeah. But how many people can go to a meetup and start a relationship, and and that's the thing is that it's it's sort of like Kevin always says this about Twitch. One of the like the strongest qualities of a Twitch broadcaster is consistency. Yeah. If you're gonna say that you're gonna broadcast something every Wednesday at 4 p.m., which is slick Viking Squad, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Slick Entertainment, <laughs> <laughs> then you do it because yeah. people will come to expect uh, you to do that, and you can form a relationship that way. And I think it's the very same thing with contractors. When you when you meet them, or when you're trying to make not even I mean when you're trying to just make a name for yourself in the industry, is that you have to be consistent. Yeah. You know, go to as many meetups as you can. Mm-hmm. Always have business cards, right? Always talk about what you're working on, what you're studying, the, the latest in in what's going on in your life professionally, right? And people will remember who you, you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's what I did after graduation was every month, every month full indie, and then eventually you know people. Yeah, you just you have friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Because uh, familiarity breeds, uh, you know. So tree. number one, personal connection. Per- make I a think personal is a way connection. To sum all yeah. of that up. Is yeah, the, the biggest thing is a personal co- personal connections. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's say I know this is a Matt question. I'm stealing it. <laughs> oh, are you doing it right now? No. This is. <laughs> let's say so. I've been contracting you for, for you guys for a while. Mm-hmm. What could I do? To never get hired again within, like, totally still a couple question. days. The, Matt's question. <laughs> what can you... Asterisk Matt's question. To, so I would never hire you ever again? Yeah, just torpedo. Yeah, just what's, the, like, the number one thing to, like, mess up your career? 
what I find important as a contractor, um, and Gord knows this, Gord's yeah. really good with this, um, is pretty much communication. Yeah. That's the number one thing. Because if you're not good at communicating to your contractor, you're going to make them worry. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're basically doing kind of your own thing. And if you don't tell the, 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 you know, the, the client, I guess, mm-hmm. what's happening, that they're going to be just in the dark, not know anything, and that's the worst thing I think mm-hmm. because so don't go dark. Beca- well, because if you know if something goes if something goes dark with a contractor, the first person I'm going to talk to is I'm going to try and contact you. Yeah. But the first person I'm going to talk to is going to be my business partner, which is Kevin, and be like, you know, where is where is this guy? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's never that's never good. It's not like gossip or whatever. It's just like where where did this guy where did this guy go? Yeah. Right. So that's never good. Communication is always the most important thing. Like we have a variety of ways of communicating in this world. Like I can never get away from my mother. She will communicate to me in any way that she wants to, <laughs> as much as I love her. Right. But we we go through. We have Skype. We have Slack. We have good old phone. We have Facebook Messenger. There's lots of ways to keep yourself updated. And if there's one thing that um, a lot of clients are worried about is their contractor flaking off. Yeah. Right. So And it's because it seems to happen a lot. It seems to happen. Yeah, it does. It seems yeah. to happen a lot. And then this is yeah. this isn't only bound to the audio industry. No, yeah. no, no. It's everywhere. Uh, contractor rules apply like across the board. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's nothing there's not a lot of Every unique industry. things about audio contracting in the general business sense. Like it's all the general like stuff you can find out about mm-hmm. how to be a good contractor. It yeah. applies to audio. And a lot of it is a lot of it is through personal experience too, because with audio there there's always a feast or famine type of situation yeah. that you have. And then when you're in the famine, you're looking for work and you're hustling. And then when you're in the feast, you have to be on the ball and you have to schedule things to yourself. You, it's not like you can really tell a lot of other people about your schedule because it's your schedule that you have to keep. Yeah. yeah. So you have to schedule yourself. So if you have three projects that are due in the last week of May and it's the first week of March, you may be thinking, I have tons of time to get all this done. I can, mm-hmm. I can plan things out. <laughs> but, but really what you, have to, what you have to do is have the discipline to look at a calendar and basically say, you know, be consistent, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every Tuesday... Or Thursday, I'm going to be doing this game. Wednesday and Friday, I'm going to be doing this other game. It's even for me here at Clay, internally, we've got a bunch of games on the go. I kind of work as a contractor in a sense. Mm-hmm. Big air quotes. I work as a contractor for all each individual game right. that's going on. And I have to keep my schedule of, okay, what does every game in the studio need? When are the dates? When you know What's shipping when? When's What's getting shown when? Mm-hmm. Balance all of that myself and then communicate out to each team. Okay. This is when you get some time. This is when you get some time. You know, you're sorry, but the other game is shipping something next week. I don't have time for you this week. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. You know, and keep everybody informed. I keep everybody informed of my schedule. Yeah. Not the other way around. With with our company, I'll explain sort of how contracting works with our company. So uh, Power Up Audio has a client, and that client needs... Uh, or the client wants to have a relationship with us. And usually, as much as possible, we try to keep all of the sound effects and the the work between Kevin, myself, Gordon, and Joey. And that's sort of like our core audio team. When we need to subcontract something up because of timing or um, just busyness or anything, it's not as if we just give uh, the, the subcontractor, like, oh, here's like a bunch of sound effects, like, have fun, see yeah. you in like three weeks. So what... 
what we have to do usually is we have to provide them with ample direction, our own direction, because yeah. that's what the clients pay power up for is to, we have sort of uh, audio direction ourselves. We clear it with them. Chris Barassa did a really good talk uh, at last week's Full Indie about uh, Chris Barassa from Red Oak Studios who did Darkest Dungeon. He did a really good talk about externalizing the creative direction in your game. So it's not bound to a person. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. actually a third kind of being in the room that you always refer to. So we use that model with our subcontractors. And when we have a date that we have to hit, so say, you know, the last day of May, it's not like we ask them to give us the assets on that day latest. Yeah. We request it at least a week earlier or something of that nature because what subcontractors, unfortunately, they'll have to understand is that if you're working for a company like ours, um, we have to spot check your work before yep. we send it out. Back to the whole communication thing, if you're not communicating with us to get your work onto our desks in time, then we're left with communicating with the client why we're going to be late with mm -hmm. our project. Yeah. Right? So that is, like, that sort of kind of chain of kind of command is, is it, it's sort of why communication, I feel, is, like, so important. So that, um, rounding that around to a slightly different question, flipping the tables a bit, <laughs> uh, we had a question from Topher on, uh, I can't remember if you asked it on Slack or on, on, on Twitter, um, but he was basically like, what's the best way to handle uncommunicative devs, and when do you cut your losses? Hmm. So I'm going to just narrow the question a little bit. Okay. When, when you're talking to a dev kind of like before anything's signed, like you're trying to land the gig. Okay. And there's a big blank space of uncommunication. When, when do you be like, fine, like I'm not going to keep hunting them? So... I guess your question is, um, if when they have a project that you're interested in, and then you've you're kind of talking with somebody like they're interested in you, like we've got a, I've got a game, I've got Game X, I really want Power Up to yeah. you to do Game X. Yeah, let's talk, let's organize a deal. What do we? Want? And then there's like, at what point of non-communication do you just go like? Do you just give up? Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, it <laughs> really. And how do you do that professionally? <laughs> I think you can just disappear into the night. Yeah, I mean, I think having. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous patience is really important because I've had clients that are are like, yeah, 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 and will disappear for ages. Yeah. And then they'll come back and they'll be like, we finally got our shit together. Yeah. We're ready to go. I yeah. completely agree. Like six agree. months, even a year later, they'll be like, we got it together and we're ready to go. And then everything goes great. This happens all the time uh, in, in our company is that we'll, we'll give a business card to somebody uh, that's doing a game and we'll be like, we really want to do your game. Your idea sounds amazing. We don't hear from them. We send them an odd, you know, like the last thing that that guy wants is you to annoy them. No, totally. Yeah. Right? I've said a lot. I mean, the, a lot of the gigs I've landed was through persistence. Yeah. And somehow magically finding that that time to poke the person that's persistence and not annoying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's like, that's something you can't just be like, it's three weeks and two days. You can't, yeah. You know, it's no, like, it's different for everybody. You just gotta, gotta feel a person out and find out. Okay, how often do I poke this? Yeah, person? what I can say is like, don't do it once a week because that's too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, what about once you've sort of landed the gig? Um, oh, if they're being non-communicative, communicative again? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for for not getting uh, for not being communicative before you land a gig, I mean you you can't you can't go too much. Yeah. What I was about to say was that Kevin like Kevin and I have given business cards to people. 
and we won't hear from them from like for like two years or yeah. three years because of exactly what Gordon mentioned is that you know they're not thinking about the sound guy every step of the way totally. when they're trying to lock funding or a team together. They're not saying, oh, what's Gord gonna think? Yeah, right. <laughs> they're not. They're probably gonna be like, who was that guy that gave me his business card that looks like he could use a lunch, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's you. Um, but instead, it's just, it's you know, you have to, you just have to be patient. And, and that's actually almost, that's another thing too. And I hear this a lot from um, talking to, especially people who just graduate at the full indies or kind of anywhere really, is that they're saying it's so hard to get a job or to get work. And I am not fully on board with that, um, with that sentiment. I think that there's a lot of games out there. I think that it's it's not like there's five games and it's not then ten sound designers. It's not like musical chairs or anything. I think that there's a lot of work that's kind of out there for for people to get. So if you don't get the game that you really want to do, like just l- keep on looking, right? Like keep on going to these events, keep on bettering your own uh, social skills, which I think is as important as um, your sound design skills. Like, yeah, being somebody that's fun to work with. Mm-hmm. Damien posted on Twitter. Uh, just I think yesterday or today, um, top five things of game audio. Number one was persistence. Yeah, you know, and it's like you got to. A lot of it is if you're if you're starting out, mm-hmm. is outlasting everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you can if you can be like solid, you don't have to be the best, but if you're a solid sound designer, solid composer, whatever you're, you know your field you're going in. Yeah. If you are persistent and can outlast the other guy. I feel that many of these things... Any job, any job in entertainment is yeah. a war of attrition. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, look at Matthew McConaughey. Like, <laughs> yeah. he was awesome, you know, like a decade and a half ago, and then he did all those really not good romantic comedies. Yeah. And then he disappeared, and then now, boom. Gets true to de- act. True yeah. detective. Yeah. Comes back, right? But it was because he was still acting. He was still doing his thing, and then finally he manned up and made true detective the best... Yeah. TV series of all time. So I'm going to, we had another question that I'm going to roll into the question you didn't answer. (laughs) So the question you didn't answer was uncommunicative devs after you've gotten the gig. After you've gotten the gig. Rolling that into Jameson Moore said, what do you do when when you'll get paid? Okay, yeah, so that there's a lot of... If you didn't get paid, that is mostly your fault. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Um, If somebody tells you that if, if somebody's, you enter into, into uh, an agreement, like a handshake agreement or whatever, and they're mm-hmm. like, you know, listen, we just want these 10 sound effects, it's going to cost this much. We don't really need to bring a lawyer into it or anything. I'm like, good as for soon it. as they, as soon as they say, you, I'm shaking my head. Yes. As soon as they say, we don't need to bring any paperwork or a lawyer or something, that's your first uh, yep. indicator that you should probably bring a lawyer and paperwork into So, <clears throat> saying, you know, you've gotten the contract. Yeah. You, like, it's all like digit. You have a contract. Mm-hmm. They've gone dark. You haven't heard from them. At this point, I would say contacting them once a week is the least you can do. You can actually stand to do it more because when you email somebody, the the fine folks at Google, when they made Gmail, you say it saves all of your emails. Yeah. Every single, you know, Hotmail. um, We use Bluehost. Shout out to Bluehost. Um, (laughs) Saves saves all of MacMail. You save all of your emails. Yeah. So if there's any dispute about you didn't get back to us or we didn't know what you wanted, anything like that, you can say, well, here's a list of 12 emails I sent to you in the past four weeks asking. And I wasn't impolite in any of these emails. It was just, hey, we just wanted to get an answer on this. 
right? Can you help us out here? Is there a good time to call? A good time to yeah. talk? Keep the emails nice and short, and because of that, in, just in a, that and, and be like just a reminder: there's an eighteen percent per annum, yeah, yeah, weekly amortized or like weekly right. compounded. Also, I guess that penalty would be for a, you for your late that payment. Would be a, be a tip. Yeah. Have a late payment. Yeah, we do. Part of your contract. I mean, net 30 is like a standard. Net 30 is standard. Right? I a, never gave anybody net 30. Man, you're lucky to still be sitting in this chair right now. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't freelance for long, but <laughs> I came from the position of we're, if we're working for the first time, why am I giving you terms? We have no relationship. There is no reason for me to give you terms. Right. I had a repeat client. I'm like, oh, you paid me on time. All right. I'll give you 30 now. Like I've. We've worked together. You've paid me. I know you're good for stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, without getting too much into, like, the kind of the the minor um, work of our, you know, detail work of our contracts, one thing that we do do when we do with contractors, and maybe this is something that contractors can also employ in their own contracts, there's so many contract templates you can look at online. You might know a friend of a friend who's, like, a lawyer, suddenly to become a lawyer, like, take all that into, you know, into advantage. Yeah. Or if you don't know anybody and you have to pay for a lawyer, it's worth having a conversation or at least paying him to look at your contracts, whatever yeah. you make. But one thing that we always do, and it actually saves us a lot of paperwork, is that if we sign a contract with uh, uh, somebody, like, uh, if we sign some, uh, uh, sorry, a contract with a contractor, like Gordon, for example, in our contracts, it'll say something like, this governs all future uh, work contracts with the contractor mm-hmm. right so you sign it once yeah and it governs everything else so you can you can sign it once get that kind of formality out of the way and never really have to worry about it ever again as right unless you want to terminate it in which that has to be by by writing as well right mm-hmm. coming right. from a being a contractor i would say advice for that it's great to have one thing signed but make sure that price schedules are outside of that Yes. Yeah. Because I'd be, I'd be like, hey, awesome! I get to sign one contract of power up, and it it solves most of the things. Mm-hmm. But if I want to ask for more money, I'm gonna want to ask yeah, for more usually, money on a project. Yeah. Usually, we have like the standard boilerplate sort of yeah. contract, and mm-hmm. then you have the the price schedule. Well, longer, you have the work orders. Yeah. That's what they're like called. Our longer term projects are have work orders. They'll have specific yeah. work. So yeah. that's a good. Yeah. Make sure that you're not. If you're signing a long-term contract with somebody, yeah. make sure you're not getting locked into yeah. parts that you're yeah. like, oh, that's, you know, maybe yeah. that would change. Make if, sure that the, the changeable parts are part of work orders. If you're all, if I mean, if you're old enough to be a contractor, man, you're old enough to, to read a contract, you're old <laughs> enough to understand a contract, and you're old enough to make one. Because that's it's a lot of responsibility, yeah. and I've, I've seen lots of people... Uh, just get burned. Basically, yeah. just get yes hyper burned on this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, like, if you're not getting paid, it means you weren't clear from the outset on what your payment expectations were. Yeah. You didn't get it in writing. You didn't make a penalty um, for late payment. Uh, I think those are the main three I can think of. Yeah. Or you didn't, and you didn't set a payment date, which I guess would be encompassed. With that's the yeah. That's actually that's actually one thing I, I would say if we're talking about contracts now. Um, pretty in depth is that have an end have like an end date so if they say something like yeah we'll pay you 50% now and 50% at the end of the project when's end of the when's the end of the project yeah uh, if mm-hmm. there's one thing that I've learned in this industry uh, with dev cycles is that dev cycles <laughs> can go a really 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 long time we've been would, doing a game for like three years now I don't even know when it's going to be released I would right? say most game devs are really bad at time manage- time scheduling 
yeah. of their games. Like, right, I, because nobody knows the game they want to make when they start making the game. No. Or it just evolves and yeah. it, it well, mutates and they br- people leave, some people, like, new people come in. Mm-hmm. It's right? one of the bad things about Kickstarter in a way these days. People sell a game on Kickstarter yeah. and they're locked into that game that they came up with. Yeah, And the, kick- Absolutely. the people who funded them hold them to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time, they're like, no, you told me we were, you were going to give me X. And you're like, well, I started making X, and, and then X I figured out that X was wasn't really garbage. cool, yeah. and, like, Y was way better. And they're like, no, I bought X. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and the thing is, is that these developers aren't actually contractually bound to whatever. No. They're no, not. but they'll, they'll, they'll burn you in social. But if, they, but if they burn you, the con, like the, the clients can, or the developers is going to look like an a-hole. It's, right? it's, you, it's a you, lose-lose situation. You burn yeah. the social contract. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, that you've made by saying, I'm going to make X. Yeah, and so people are really, going to try to make another game with like with a bad taste in all like, yeah. you know, gamers' yeah. mouths. There's a, there's a really good video on YouTube and Vimeo by a guy. I think it's a web design firm or something. This guy's name is Mike Montero, and it's called Fuck You, Pay Me. <laughs> and it's a, it's like a talk. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and it's excellent um, yeah. about all the just protecting yours and your clients' relationships. Yeah, every contract. He, I think he came from graphic design, didn't he? Yeah. With graphic design oh, yeah. is the worst. They yeah. screwed the worst. Yeah. They're like even like audio is bad for the do it for the experience. Like graphic design is even worse. <laughs> and it's all like, you should do this for the experience. Uh, my cousin can do it if you're not going to, and he can do it for $10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, back to some questions. Okay. Uh, I'm going to roll, yet again, I'm going to roll some stuff into into one. Um, Thomas asked for tips for uh, audio price quotes. What info do you need? What are good to get from a client to produce a quote. I'm going to roll that into a bit of what Joel Walsh asked of how do you pitch clients with what they need versus what they think they need. Okay, so I mean that, that we can talk for like uh, yeah, yeah, hours yeah. on but that. But we've only got an hour, um, so that's why I'm going to Okay, so we still, we still got tons of time. Pay yourself, price yourself according to the project. Right, right but can, I think the question is what info do you need What's what should you get from the client? Like if so, somebody yeah. right out of school, they don't know how to. If a client is asking, yeah, if a client's like, I want to, I want, I want a game, and I want ten sound effects, and I'm not ready to show you the game; it's all concept art. If they say something like that, they don't want ten sound effects. They don't know what they want. Yeah, they think they want ten sound effects. The first thing you need to tell them is, well, I mean, in my personal opinion, the price is the last thing you want to talk about. Right, right. right. So, right? what info do you get to you get the quote? you get a build of the game? That's yeah. the number one thing that you need. What about? Um, Pre pre build. Yes, like you, I, I I'm I'm currently of, of the belief, um, if if a build of a game needs to be made, the audio's in too late. Oh well, how so? That you should be making, you should be building stuff when when they're concepting. Stuff. When we're yeah, when we that's, that's what when, I'm pushing for around here is to like I want audio to be involved when we're concepting. Now, sound effects is about the last thing you can do at that stage. I mean, you can do a lot of pre-production on the audio, and that's what we fully do. Um, yeah. And I wanted to kind of touch upon that later, but pre-production is like a huge deal for audio. Even having a meeting, just one meeting a month, every two months with somebody that you've been on board to, to work with on a project, you want to know what kind of game that they're doing and yeah. what kind of game style that they're doing. So you need to get that sort of information in a conversation. And what you need to do is that if they don't have a build ready for you, you have to start firing off 
games that you think their game is going to be like, even if it's just a mini game or even if it's just a section of the of the game proper, mm-hmm. right? So you can go and play those types of games and you can come up with ideas, yeah. right? And that to me is what pre-production is. And it's not, it's, it's not like you're going to be stealing these ideas or doing anything sketchy with them. Like it, it's just how I feel a lot of media and art kind of work. Yep. I always say that... You use references. Uh, it's, it's just references. And I, I think that right now, if you're a sound designer, especially if you're a sound designer, you live... This is the best time to be a sound designer. Not only do you have great equipment, you know, great mics, you can record and... Um, you can record in, like, you know, 96K and beyond, all that nice stuff. Also, you have YouTube and Vimeo, and you have all of these online resources where if somebody says, I want to make this game like The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask... And in your head, you're like, oh, damn, I don't know what that game is. Right, you can go look it up. You can look at a Let's Play yeah. so easily. And just by, it's it's the very same, like if, for example, you know, like if Gore didn't know, you know, Majora's Mask, he could, he, would, he could either come to my house, right, sleep on my couch, watch me play Majora's Mask, or he could go on the internet and yeah. have it at that very second. Mm-hmm. Right, we live in in the greatest sort of era to be to be collaborating with each other because it's the easiest to get the idea of what they want. Yeah, you know, thirty or forty, you know, like thirty years ago, let's say, not maybe even twenty years ago, when we were being, you know, sound designers talking to uh, game developers, we'd have to use our mouths and be boo, how about this boo, like that, right? But now it's like, no, we have to make it like this game. Maybe it's an obscure game; it doesn't matter. Somebody's gonna have made a video of it. When and then you get a more full picture. Exactly. That you can start yeah. picking things apart. So it's like, what do you like and about the same? When, and, and when you do the pre-production, you know, it's it, you don't have to say, oh, this has to be exactly like Zelda. Like, maybe there's literally one thing you like about Zelda that you think should make it in this game. Yeah. And you Frankenstein other, other parts from other games, you get other influences, right, sound design-wise. It's really good. You have media, like, you know, move, like movies, tons of movies that you can just reference. And yep. be like, that mag gun from Blade Runner. That's all you got to say. And then you just look up Mag Gun Blade Runner on YouTube or something, you hear it, and you're like, wow, that's a really cool sound. And you don't know how it was made, so you're going to make your own version of it, which is exactly. going to be wrong and might be better in its own sense. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm not saying you want... And that's like the, the flow of creativity. Yeah, it's not, it like, you know, it's not like you're going to just rip off the Mag Gun from the movie itself <laughs> and then RX the, the background video. and music out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right? You're going to be like, I really like how it reloads. I really yeah. like the pull on it. Mm-hmm. I really like how it sounds uh, for a certain part. And nobody's ever going to go up to you and be like, you're a bad sound designer because your reload sound sounds like the mag gun from Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's ever going to say that, right? You're just going to be focused on, you know, the, the, the cooler aspects, right, of, of the sound design, right? So I think um, some important things to come up with when you're building a quote um, is their speech. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I have a big speech victory to announce. Is there speech? Is there budget for actors? Yeah. On the music front, is is there a budget or consideration for live instrumentation? Right. You know? Yeah, that's... that's, It's sort of like when you've got either concept art, a build, whatever you've got of the game, Mm -hmm. you get your hands on as much of the game exists as you can to figure out what it actually is we're making. Yeah. Other than the person going, I'm making a first-person shooter open world. About cowboys. About cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. So you, you get your hands on as much of the stuff as you can, and right. you're like, okay. And then you figure... Do the cowboys talk? Yes, you figure How out... How many what, cowboys talk? What external mm-hmm. factors there are in, in, the audio of the, uh, in the audio of the game. So that means 
are you going to need to do the sounds, um, you know, like kind of like the voices yourself? Yeah. Or do you have to pay an actor? Yeah. Now, what kind? do you want him to talk in like a simlish where you can kind of maybe get away with, uh, yeah. you know, more amateur actors? Or do you need sort of like the Scott McNeil, right? Like the, you know, the ones that are tied to, to agencies, right? You got to figure out where your external costs are, your COGS, essentially, cost of goods and services. Mm-hmm. So what's your victory speech? Um, speech victory. Not your victory speech. I've, I had a game. Well, a, it is a victory I speech because you had a victory in speech. Was like where the developer was getting a little ahead of himself. The cart was going before the horse on, on voiceover a bit, mm-hmm. and I was like, "We need to relax, take a step back, flush out our characters a bit more." Yeah, mm-hmm. disappeared for two months, and came back and was like, the "Script is becoming finalized. We've got almost five thousand lines." Jeez, um, <laughs> like these are the actors we want. They're all top notch. We've budgeted. Like nice. it's all looking like it'll be go through super organized, and it's gonna be a lot of work. <laughs> you need, nice, but you need a Canadian guard. Yeah, no, not, not <laughs> you turn the lights out. <laughs> Damn it, I'm I'm out. <laughs> there's yeah, there's so many factors. Like people don't, well, you know, like I don't want to talk too broadly, but a lot of um, audio designers when they get a project and there's VO in it. There's a lot of costs associated with that. It's not just Huge. getting a mic to a guy, oh, no, right? It's ridiculous. You dialogue need to can, dialogue can I dialogue I would can break see a budget, doubling yeah. your audio budget, yeah. if not more. Easy. You need to rent a studio. Yeah. Um, you need to get a director. If that director is you, you have to make sure that you're getting paid at, for the director position. You need an engineer, and if you're an engineer, you have to make sure that you get paid. It's sort of like the live the live sound guy who brings his own equipment. Get paid for your time. Get paid for your equipment. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the same thing with um, it's the same thing with VO. You have to make sure that everybody is accounted for and everybody is being paid fairly, because you want the the whole goal of you know like audio design. Like what we're trying to do, what you guys are trying to do, even with this podcast, you're trying to create awareness and respect with audio designers, yeah. right? Um, amongst a, a, an indie company, right? And in an indie company, when people are on shoestring budgets, and you have to do really different, you know, like, you know, you have to do limiting things, really. Yep. You still have to make sure that people well, are compensated fairly. Right? Too, totally. And a lot of people don't, uh, they see the dollar figure up front, and they don't get a good sense of what that is saving them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, paying $800 for two hours with a voice actor can actually save you a lot of money because the amateur who is a quarter of the price yeah. is going to take... Eight Four, times as long. Eight, eight times as long. It goes, and as, you're still going to be like, oh, I'm not really that happy with this. Whereas no. you get a super pro, and you're like, Oh, you nailed it in one take. Um, no next headaches. line. Yeah, you know, and exactly. it's like, well, you're, What is your time worth? And you're like, Well, all of that. The more takes somebody takes, the knock-on effect is you're spending more time recording. Mm-hmm. You're spending more time editing, mm-hmm. spending more time mastering. It's just like all of that builds out. So if you can get something in one take and it's awesome, like you're saving time on a bunch of people. Not yeah, not yeah, exactly. And then then you get into that whole conversation with you know is how much is your time worth? Yeah. In mm-hmm. in terms of money, you factor that in, and it's a no brainer. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna get an SM57 or something, and go to your bathroom for some reason and record an actor. It doesn't matter how good he is, because if you flip that coin, if you have just bad equipment, bad setup, you're going to be spending a lot of time just cleaning it up, cleaning it up, editing it, making sure that like you know none of the reflections are anything, and that's going to cause you a giant headache. Yeah. And 
the worst thing is, is that there's a really good chance you might not even use any of it. Yeah. And you have mm-hmm. to do it again, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the, there's there's really no account for shortcuts in, in the production. That's why I make sure when I, when I prototype my guards, yeah. <laughs> I, I use me because I, I can do a decent guard. Yeah. And while what's Canadian the, accented. Yeah. But I do it at a level at which I would ship the game with. So yeah. we can judge it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And in, a lot of the time, just use it. I do agree. Yeah, I do agree with Gordon. So it's not like wasted. Like your prototyping time is just actually production time. Yeah. I do agree with Gord, though. I, you know, get, anybody who's thinking, I mean, this is for people who, who are making their own game devs, is that if you do want to get voices in your game, it's it is going to increase your budget yeah. by a whole lot. And audio guys uh, who are listening, you guys all know this. One of our hardest jobs in this um, in this discipline of ours is making things sound natural, mm-hmm. right? Making a basketball when somebody bounces it, making it sound like a basketball, and that or making when somebody you know walks through bla- you know blades of grass that it doesn't sound too crispy and high end, yeah, right. And that's the same with actors. If you're gonna skimp on the actors. Because you want voices in your game, but you don't want to pay for it, just it's going to, yeah, just don't do it. It's going to make the, everything worse. It's, it's going to, especially it's going to come with out. trailers. If, yeah, trailers if you're not going to do it right, just don't out. do it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, leading back to a bit of a question <laughs> from Joel mm-hmm. um, How do you pitch clients what they need versus what they think they need? So, good example. What do you do when the dev's like, I totally want speech in all my game? And they're like, What's your budget? Like, Ten dollars. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I can get you one letter. <laughs> the more informed, I mean, it's a very, it's a professionalism thing as well. The more informed right. you are of the game, or the more informed you are of game audio, or being aware uh, of the video game industry, playing a lot of games, doing all that, the more valuable your opinion is going to be. So, if you present yourself in such a way that your opinion is valuable, they will more likely listen to you. That's a very general, wide-reaching answer. Yeah, um, I find that doing things to back up your opinions, yeah. uh, very tangible things, uh, works really well for us. Um, sometimes we do audio treatments for games, yeah. and this usually comes either it could come before we sign a contract, or it could even come after. But an audio treatment basically is you know we take OBS or um, or Fraps or any sort of video capturing program, we capture what is in their game currently, yeah, and then we basically do a lot of design on it. Yeah. And we don't spend a ton of time on the design, but we get enough so that you know we 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 get the feel across, the shape of our sounds across, the kind of themes across and we present it to them. Yeah. And once you do that, you number one you're showing some incredible initiative right there. Mm-hmm. Right? Cuz they probably wouldn't would not have asked you, "Hey, yep. can you do a treatment?" right? So you show initiative right there, already their ears are wide open yeah. and are ready to be more accepting. The second thing you can do is um, we have a sort of, it's a sound list, essentially. We call it a game audio design document, a G-A-D-D. And it's usually just like on Google Docs or something. We just write down all the sound effects, but we use the columns to our advantage. So our columns would include the file name, the action. If it's tied to middleware, like, you know, WYs or FMOD, we have the event location in there. We have a revision notes column like everything, we color code everything so that it's between, you know, uh, delivered is a certain color, needs a revision is a certain color, approves another color in in the game, and triggering probably is another color, right? You present them with that, and that as well, it really speaks for your professionalism because they, oh, this guy doesn't screw around. Look what he's made for us already. So already their so, ears are right uh, open. Asterix on that? Yeah. 
whenever you're getting anything approved, make sure it's approved in the game. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There, I mean, that's ever, why we have a different color for it. Don't ever accept approvals that are not in the game. Yeah. If something is if something is designed on our end and we like it, it's in our color is orange. Yeah. And we we get it in the game and it stays orange until it's in the game triggering properly. Yeah. And then we change it to green once it's in the game and the developers have heard it. Yeah. We've even done, we've even gone as far as, you know, with with the clients that, you know, you can tell within the first, you know, 10 minutes of talking to a new client how much control they want in their game and they're willing to give you. Mm-hmm. With the clients that we find that it may be a potential issue in wrestling control, what we'll do is that beyond the GADD, um, GADD list, that spreadsheet, we'll actually create um, a GADD overview, which is basically me um, in an evening or two with a, a 40 of old English <laughs> typing out in my words what I want the sound design to be. Yeah. And putting in references from other games like we talked about earlier yeah. and saying, you know, this is what I like about this game. This is what I think your game should need. Um, finding pictures, finding movie references, reading books. When when I, I did one for The Darkest Dungeon because I was managing, still am managing, I guess, a team of uh, three, myself and Kevin and Joey, and we're also doing a bunch of other games um, as well. So the easiest thing to do was create a GADD overview where I would just type out what kind of game sound we wanted, what kind of feel that we were we were getting. I would actually, like myself like wiki style do summaries of hp lovecraft books mm-hmm. and stories and been like you know like a, a three sentence capsule of like what the story is why i think it relates to darkest dungeon yeah how people should feel when they're playing this game and it's it it sounds a, a bit like kind of like heavy-handed sort of like artsy fartsy kind of uh dissertation but it really works yeah. and it, it it gets people on the same page and oftentimes you know we'll, we'll when we have creative conversations between power up um, or between Red Hook, you know, like I'll bring up these things, or Kevin or Joy will bring up these things that are in like the the JDD overview as yeah. well, right? So make something like a list, make something like an overview, kind of what we do, um, and that will influence the uh, the opinion of your client a lot more. Yeah. Just basically showing professionalism. People always think that sound designers are dudes with Beats headphones, you know, rocking in with like a twelve inch Subway sandwich and then sleeping until five and then going home. <laughs> That's not true. It's what I do every day. Well, I do that too, but <laughs> but it, it, it simply it's just it's just not true. You know, like we you know we work hard. We have to we have to earn, but we have to earn that respect because not a lot of people know about audio. It's we're, I mean you've heard this a, a ton of times before, yeah. Gord. Everybody's like, you guys are audio wizards. Like work your magic on this. It's we're always like related to wizards or warlocks or something. And well, it's because a lot of what we do is magic. <laughs> if somebody gives you something to RX, that's magic. <laughs> to, to, to non-audio people, you're like, like I've cleaned up stuff with R. Like to me, that's the the big realm. Yeah. If you're gonna RX it, people are like, whoa. Yeah, and our Twitch how? broadcast, what? Kevin Kevin what finds a lot of uh, a lot of viewers love it when Kevin cleans up audio. Yeah. Because they'll be like, where'd that bird go, man? Oh, it's gone. I, I think it's magic. <laughs> I've, like, played stuff for people in the audience. Listen to this. Yeah. There was birds, and now they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what we do without RX. Uh, <laughs> but that, I mean, that's a good way to really, you know, show the client how serious you yeah. are. Well, I, and I feel it's important. Like, I don't know, we work really hard at legitimizing what we do. Absolutely. 
Um, I, yeah, I would try and ruin all of that as much <laughs> as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, um, another question from Joel was just wondering about, Joel Walsh um, from Toronto was asking about middleware. Um, just in general, quick, because I got more questions. Okay. How often are you using middleware these days? We're push. We're pushing middleware. Um, You're pushing it. I know. But how? What percentage of games are you actually using it in? I. It's. Whereas when we started our business, it was like zero. Yeah. We're now, approaching what like fifty to sixty percent now. Yeah. We're doing middleware. And, what about you, Gord? Um. Probably sixty seventy. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, I have I mean, two or three games that aren't using middleware. Everything else. Is the middleware. argument. On using middleware, people are like, oh, no, it costs, you know, for FMOD, for example, it's $3,000 for a single platform license, $1,500 for uh, uh, the, any subsequent platform. But you're also doing the whole time versus money thing, yep. right? Because if you weren't, if Gordon and I aren't using, and you, Matt, like if we aren't using FMOD, the, the middleware platform, we're going to... Then gonna, I'm not working on your game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we're not I have use, straight up said, no oh, middleware... Really? You know, I'm not doing because that. if we're not using FMOD as the middleware, we're going to be using a programmer as the middleware. Mm-hmm. He's going to be our middleware. I was talking on Slack today uh, with somebody about, might have been Joel, about this, and kind of talking about it. I think if you're giving a budget to a, a dev as their contractor, going, "What do you need?" and you know, this is the line item for middleware. Mm-hmm. The alternate to put with it is if you don't get this then it invokes line item programmer time of I'm going to need a programmer. Like, I'm going to need a programmer for two days to integrate the middleware. Yep. If I don't have middleware, I'm going to need a programmer for a month to build me an audio engine. And these are the things I need. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's a very, like, put it in the, you know, quote of, like, it's this or this. Exactly, yeah. Because you're right. They don't, most of the time, they don't realize what it's going to take up. What... The middleware is saving them. And then right. show them some of the fancy tricks they can do. Because to them, they just <laughs> yeah. see... I, I, they just I, see a money figure. I, and they just see, like, an event almost, goes into this thing and some sound comes out. That's all they understand. Right. They, but if you're like, hey, look at all this crazy stuff I'm doing in yeah. here. And they're like, oh. Yeah, watch me roll pro- this can down a hill. You're kind of programming in there. <laughs> okay, I get it. Like, yeah, yeah. It, like, I, you're, you are paying for a programmer because that's what FMOD and WYS does. Mm-hmm. It... it it streamlines programming to a very visual, like a visual API. So when you look at stuff, you're like, "Oh, cool! Now I can play Mixer yeah. and do all back of these when, fancy um, things." Back when I still use Designer, uh, every time we do use Designer on a project, I mm-hmm. have to have a Mixer built for me. Studio and Wise have Mixers built into them. Right. Mm-hmm. Studio and Wise have debug tools built into them. I mm-hmm. would always have to get a, a programmer to make me debug tools because, yeah. and it was very easy. It's very easy to. Explain to a programmer why you need debug tools and how much time it's going to save them. That's something most programmers totally understand. Right. So if you're like, hey, if you're not going to license this, then this is what I need you to build me. You're going to have to build this for me, yeah. You know, and I've (laughs) I've talked to multiple programmers who said, oh, I rolled my own. I really would have, should have just licensed something at the end. Yep. Now that I've added up how many hours I spent... Yeah, I mean, most programmers that I talk to, they hate audio implementation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they would they wouldn't touch it. Yep. And getting FMOD does the job for them because all they do is they just create hooks. Yeah. And we fill those hooks in, and we and the thing is, is that it, it's something that Kevin and I are very strong believers in. Is that 
we if we have middleware to do this job, then we are doing the job that you are paying us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You're not paying, you're paying your programmer to program stuff, but the thing is, is he's programming everything. Yep. Right? It's it, audio is for sure going to be the last of all of his task items at the end of the at the end of the cycle. Yeah. Right? And that's why audio, you know, gets screwed, you know, in most most dev cycles where they're rushing it near the end. Right? But if you get something like FMOD for us, it it puts the control in our hands. So instead of talking to a programmer and being like, hey Phil, can you turn this down three dB? You can just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey what's, Phil. What's a dB? Yeah. He'll be like, oh, how does that translate into the, you know, the the mono game, like the the mono game uh, code? Like, yeah, <laughs> you have to do it yourself. Yeah, right. So cool. It's good to hear that middleware is being more. We're put. We're we're used. definitely. Yeah, we're definitely pushing for it. Um. So uh, Danny Kogan asked, how do you deal with a lack of feedback, and it can it be translated into more creative freedom? Yes. Yes. The second part, yes. <laughs> I've certainly had the teams that are like, you just do your thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm doing yeah. my thing until you tell yeah. me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, lack of, I mean, lack of feedback. We, I mean, I don't have a ton of experience on lack of feedback. If anything, <laughs> clients have a lot of feedback for us, which is really good. Yeah. I mean, if there, if there is a lot. <clears throat> lack of feedback for me is like throw your hands in the air and. And cheer just, a little bit. Just like, run. I, I would say lack of run with it until because yeah. people are always going to feedback negatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people will always like put their foot down and go, "Whoa, I don't like this." Very few clients so, will be like, "This is a sweet sound effect." Right. So if you're getting Proceed. nothing, it's the same as like once games get put out, we get very few audio feedback and reviews. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Unless it's bad. Yeah. Unless right. It's, so yeah. generally, if I like see a review of one of my games and I'm like, didn't mention audio. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a gold star. (laughs) (laughs) This cow barked at me. Yeah, Yeah, you know, as long as they're like, there was audio in the game, and if, hey, if that's all you have to say, like, I, awesome, I did it. Monkey squirrels. Um, But if they say bad things, they're obviously, they're always going to say bad things. So yeah, yeah, just no feedback, run with it. Run with it until they they try to rein you in. Yeah. And then listen to what they say unless they... Yeah, it almost makes you feel sneaky. Yeah, it's sort, of, like, it's sort oh, of it's sort of absolved in in how we do the GADD like the sound list because we do have the color code. So what we usually do is that we don't usually make the the sound the approved color, which is green. We leave it up to the the clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if if we're really wondering if it's approved or not, we'll just be like, can you just green all the ones that are approved? And if not, you know, whatever. We always have to keep in mind that you know these developers they're juggling, you know, running a company, programming maybe, art maybe, game design. You know, marketing, you know, yep. like just doing all of that stuff. Like the audio is like if they think it's fine and they don't say anything, then I agree, you know. Yeah. Maybe but if, if you want that sort of confirmation, right, then it, it wouldn't hurt to to do some sort of look over this list. Tell me what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so we're getting close. So I'm gonna um come up to Corey Maller asked, What's the dumbest thing you've recorded? Like the dumbest thing I've that recorded? That was the question. What's the dumbest thing you've recorded? I don't know. I hate my voice. Probably <laughs> this then. <laughs> no, I'm just and kidding. And we never put the podcast <laughs> out. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the dumbest thing I've recorded is. I've recorded so many things that nothing really comes out. Nothing really strikes. What about our vocal recording for Bunker Punks? <laughs> 
<laughs> it wasn't dumb, but it was the most uncomfortable, bizarre thing we've ever. What done. did did we put? Um, we were filled our mouths with, with wet. wet no, not wet. It was dry. It was dry paper towels. <laughs> because that, that actually, that's actually kind of what it sounded like. Um, <laughs> because in Bunker Punks, there's an enemy called the Proxy Man, and he's he looks really, really cool. He has like a kind of like a gas mask thing going on, and it seems mm-hmm. to be connected to his body. And he his voice always sounds really futzed. Well, it's supposed to be like a tube going down his throat or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we had to record the voices on our own because it just seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. And we ended up, yeah, Gordon and I <laughs> cotton-mouthed ourselves, basically. We just got all these, like, paper towels, yeah. stuffed ourselves full. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Gord really didn't. Joey uh, didn't. Joey, like, yeah, Joey hated it. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Joey Goddard. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, when we recorded ourselves, I think Joey almost threw up then, which was really... <laughs> I've, I've almost thrown up a couple of times doing creature noises just yeah. like something sticks in my throat oh yeah and every time I'm like hacking like I'm gonna Coughing throw up fits. and I'm like looking over at the meters like <laughs> is it good is it my good at least let me get a recording out of this completely uncomfortableness yeah I don't know what like what constitutes as dumb like dumb I'll, I'll go in, I think yeah. that the possibly the dumbest thing I've recorded is uh, wrapping a 57 in saran wrap and putting it in my tub full of water and then making noises underwater. That doesn't sound dumb. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, that's I, also I really... had the dumbest one. I was recording uh, this resonant vase. Yeah. And then I farted and the vase <laughs> resonated. That's awesome. So I sent it to Joey. <laughs> I think I got that file. It's the most useless sound ever. It was just funny. <laughs> the, the bathtub one I'm calling dumbest because I'm like, I'm sitting here going, okay, I've got, I've got my recorder in another room. I'm like trying to hold a mic but yeah. not let it go all the way in so that it gets wet and destroyed. And like <laughs> leaning over, you know, face in. But like, yeah, it's like was super uncomfortable. And I'm like, I have no idea if this is going to work. This could be a right. giant waste of time. I don't know. I saw a cat video on YouTube <laughs> yelling into water, and that's where I got the idea. Oh, this really? Is like, this, is, this is not, like, high art that I got this from, you know. This is, like, this is kind of a dumb idea. I'm just thinking what Gordon... <laughs> and it, wor- it worked. It was it was a thing. So, I mean, some of the dumbest stuff you do, like... Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know what metadata you put in that sound effect, Gord. Just, like, vase, flatulence, I don't. Resonate. I don't think it wound up... <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yeah. That'd be so funny. I think it's just called fart resonance. <laughs> because, I mean, they usually so, aren't. Oh, man. So with that, I think we'll... Should we cover some more we'll stuff? A, a resonant farty adieu. Resonant up. Uh, I got a couple oh, of got a couple. Uh, announcements okay. to make. Um, the podcast is Moving Hosts. So if you're on um, getting us from Lipsang... Please don't get it from there anymore. We are now on Podbean. Um, so move your links. I think iTunes should do it. I did some stuff today. I'm like, fingers crossed I knew what I was doing. New host for the podcast next month. This will be the last month on Libsang. So there's that. And uh, secret tidbit, I started Game Audio Slack channel oh, for yeah. Game Audio people. Um, if you can manage to find me on Twitter, shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> Send me your email address, and if you're a game audio person, I'll add you. It's just a nice casual hangout for game audio people to chat about stuff. Nice. And you'll probably see all of us there, too. Yeah, I pop in from time to time. I'm there every day. I will pop in very soon. Sweet. So, Jeff, 
Thanks for coming out. Thank you, man. This was a ton of fun. Hope to do this again. My couch is uh, free this evening. (laughs) Well... Guess I know where I'm going tonight. All right. <laughs> Playing some D4? <laughs> you want to do some, we will finally hit up that D4, or do you think we should wait until Deadly Prime's done? I got to clean. Yeah, we have to finish Deadly Prime. Oh, my God. So, 2018, 19. <laughs> Keep that Xbox running. <laughs>